0: Listen, y'all. Um I'm just going to share about my life, you know. I'm going to um, tell you about my life and how I've been shaped as a mom, and and more importantly, you know, just as a follower of of Jesus. And and while today is Mother's Day, I truly believe that today's word is not just for moms. You know, I I've already prayed and I've always said, Jesus, you got to take the wheel, okay? And and that this word is not just for moms but it's for you if you will choose to lean in and hear what the spirit of the living god is saying this morning so are y'all willing to do that okay okay well listen i'm coming in hot and we are just gonna do this okay let's go well let me take you um to a place in time um a few years ago, where I had recently um, been married, newly married, and I'm at home and I'm just, you know, cleaning up around the house, right, and um, doing laundry, and um, I started to find these pieces of paper, um, like receipts, and on the back of envelopes, you know, like when we got Um, bills in the mail for real then right and on the back of an empty envelope I would see like these numeric coded messages and I'm like what is this you know and I and I had no idea and I had seen them before but this day there was like an inordinate amount of them right and and I'm even doing laundry and going through my husband's you know pants pockets because I'm looking for the money and um, and I'm finding receipts there, right? And on the back of a receipt are these coded numeric messages, kind of like when you're looking at a, a, a combination for a lock. And I'm like, what is this? And I had like this really unsettling feeling in my gut. And so I called my best friend and I said, hey, you know, this this is what I'm finding. Do you, do you know what this is? Now, listen. I, I I was pretty naive. I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of street smarts. Okay, I didn't have any street smarts. And, and you know, and she said, oh, Lise, um, that's not good. And I go, what you mean it's not good? And so she said, can you read me some of those um, sequences? And I did. And she said, oh, heck. Well, no, she says something else. But then, um, she said, I'll be right there. And listen, she lived nearby and she was there in like about five, ten minutes. She said, Let me see what you're talking about. And as she looked, she said, This is not good. Where are you finding all of these? And I, well, I. On the couch and and over here and and you know and even here's the the newspaper you know the sports page you know at the header and the footer where there there isn't any printing there were some that were written there and I said this is this is where my husband's hanging out in the house and everything and she said Lise let me explain to you what this is now guys I'm gonna tell you that this is before We had cell phones and text messaging. This is about pagers, you know, those little things that were you know, on your hip and and everything like that. And you would get a phone number, and you would go to another phone, and you would call that number on the page, and you would say, hi, this is Lisa. Someone paged me. I'm supposed to call this number? But these sequences were not a phone number. Let me just share with you what some of them were four space six four one one space eight and that meant I miss you. Two space eight space two space six four eight three and that meant see you tonight and then this one I saw a lot five six eight three space eight space two and that's love you too. As you can imagine, I was devastated. My heart was broken into a thousand pieces because y'all this was evidence that my husband, the man that I loved, was having an affair. Now not only was he my husband, but he was a man of God. And when I say a man of God, I'm not just talking about a man who professes Jesus as Lord and Savior, but I'm talking about an ordained minister in my church. So let me take you to a different place. You know, back then our church used to go and celebrate at other special church services with another church. It would be kind of like if Foothills had a special service and they said, everybody from All Peoples, come on over to our afternoon service because we got something going on and we would go. That's a thing in a small African-American church. So one day we were at this service and, you know, and I'm seeing, you know, when, when people have these glancing looks and, and they're saying a whole lot, but they're not saying anything. And I'm, and I'm seeing this happening with my husband and a woman at that church. And I'm like, really, God, we, we about to do this here? Now, I, I want you to know, I, I've known Jesus all my life. So being in the church was not unusual for me. But this particular time, there was a message that the preacher was giving. And it was as if he was talking just to me. I don't know if any of you can relate to being in a church service. And the message is all about your life. And you're like, how does he know that? How does he know that? And he's talking just to you. Well, that's what was happening to me. Now, I got to tell you, when the altar call came, mind you, I'm a minister's wife. When the altar call came, I bolted down front, ran for my life, crying inconsolably. And I knelt down at the altar, and I'm just crying. I'm saying, God, God, you got to do something. You got to fix this. I don't care what you do, but you got to do something. You got to fix this. I don't care if you, if you got to fix me, but God, you got to do something. And let me tell you, at that very moment, I had the most profound, personal relationship that I've ever had in my entire life. Because at that moment, I met Jesus face to face. Okay, y'all feeling me? Okay. Now, even though I was born again and my spirit man was new, I want y'all to know that my circumstances, they really didn't change. Stuff continued to be the same thing. I mean, yeah, there were some good times, but really this thing of infidelity kept presenting its ugly face. It was kind of like an ebb and flow or kind of like it came in seasons. And I got to tell you one day, Lisa was done, and so my kids, they were at Nana and Poppy's house. That's my parents' house, my parents and I'm around the house and I'm just reeling with emotions and, and everything and I'm mad at him and I'm mad at God and I'm mad at me and I'm, I, I'm just going through it and, and I just started going through my kids' stuff and I'm snatching stuff out of the closet and out of the drawers and getting toys and I'm throwing them in the back of my car. Yep, packed it up and I said, bump this, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. I'm sorry y'all. Like I I'm, I'm real. I'm sorry. <laughs> and 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 I'm like I am not about to do this anymore. Well, let me share with you a scripture that I really resonate with. And we've actually gone through the scripture recently during Robert's The Blessing series, but I want you to lean in and look at it through a little different lens. And so we're going to go to Genesis 16, verse 1 through 8. And you know, this is the story of Abram and Sarai and, and their Egyptian slave, Hagar, right? And they couldn't have a baby. And so they decided, um, Sarai decided to take matters into our own hands. Let's read. So now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Well, Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and so after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress And then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, oh she despises me. So may the Lord judge between you and me. Check it out. This is why I'm having you lean in to this part of the scripture. He says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and Hagar dipped out, okay? The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring, and he said to her, he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, basically, where are you coming from? and where do you think you're going? And she replied, I'm running away from my mistress. Let's park right there. I don't know about you, but I can really relate to this part right here. Has anyone here ever felt so mistreated, so discarded, so dismissed, so ignored? That you just want to get ghost and you just want to get away? That you want to escape the hurt and the pain and the humiliation and the frustration of your circumstance? Well, Hagar, she was done with Sarai. And as a matter of fact, she was probably done with Abram because he was the one that was allowing it. She said, I don't have to take this. But just like her, (laughs) God had another plan. And he said to me, excuse me, what you doing? Where are you coming from? And where do you think you're going? And I said to the Lord, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Well, sometimes God will take our trauma and our tragedies, and if we allow Him, if we allow Him, He will work all things, including that thing, together for good. Pastor Robert talked about this not too long ago, and he even said that if your thing hasn't yet manifested and worked together for good, what that means is that he's not done. God ain't finished. But you know, you don't really realize that when you're going through, right? Okay. How many of you know that God's ways are nothing? nothing like our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes, sometimes God is going to ask us to do something that makes no earthly sense. But I want you to know that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask, think, or imagine, according to the power, the authority, the power of faith that is residing in you. He does not want us in toxic and dangerous situations, you guys. That's not what I'm saying. Absolutely not. But sometimes God will allow us to be in these uncomfortable circumstances and conditions so that we can see, come on now, so we can see the miraculous move of God in our lives, even in some mess like this. So, let's look at, as the verse continues, the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel also added, I will increase your descendants so much that they too will be too numerous to count. Now again, please, please, please don't get me wrong, you guys. I am not by any means trying to say that God wants to inflict more on you but see when he told hagar to go back to that person what he told me he said go back lisa and submit to him to me the lord said submit to me and i will heal your life basically he was saying trust me because see I got all this, and if I got all this, I got you." I'm like, okay, okay. Now again, submission is different than just checking off the boxes and just doing some stuff. Submission is about our heart. It's about our heart. You know, we do things for the Lord when we submit to him out of our love relationship with him. Out of the fear of the Lord, you know, that deep reverence like, oh, God, let me remember who I'm talking to. That's what causes us to do those things that seemingly we think are the impossible to do. So submission is not just about, obedience. Obedience will flow out of a submitted heart. And I really think that what the Lord wanted in me is that he wanted me to know how to submit to him, whether my husband had his act right on or not. You know, submission is about who God is, not just what he does. But how many of you know that that's hard? I know this is Mother's Day. It's not a typical Mother's Day message. But life is hard. Being a mom is hard. But we heard earlier this year that hard times does not necessarily mean it's a bad thing, y'all. At least in the eyes of the Lord. I got one yeah over here in the corner. Thank you. (laughs) Come on, listen, I appreciate you. He wants us to submit to him, even if that cost us a Gethsemane moment. You know, where you're pleading and you're saying, God, please, 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 oh, please, not this, not this, not this. But then the love of the Lord begins to bubble up from within you and you suddenly start speaking, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, folks, I'm not trying to say that this process is easy because this show ain't. It's not. But I didn't have a frame of reference I'm in uncharted waters. I I didn't even grow up like this, you know. I I didn't have anything in my childhood that I could reach back on and say, "Okay, I I, I can kind of relate to this. It must be like that." No, I didn't have anything like that. Let me tell you a little bit about about me about my growing up. I grew up in. Pasadena, I was born and raised in Pasadena. That's a suburb of Los Angeles. And my family, we moved here to San Diego when I was 16 years old, lived in Del Cerro. I went to Patrick Henry High School, Go Patriots. And you know, my parents, John and Eunice, they were married for 50 years before mommy passed away. I was raised in the church. I was baptized as an infant in the Episcopal Church. I served in the Episcopal Church. My mom and dad served in the Episcopal Church. You hearing me? Jesus was not anything new. And when I got older, When I couldn't find an Episcopal or an Anglican church, I was in Catholic mass every Sunday, every high holy day, and served in the Catholic church as well. So Jesus, I've been on Team Jesus all my life. This summer, it'll be 65 years. Team Jesus is all that I know. My parents, they told me things that, A child needs to hear, and I understand that today is Mother's Day, and some of you did not have this kind of childhood. And I understand that, and I'm sensitive to that. I was a daddy's girl, and my daddy and my mommy told me that they loved me and I knew I was loved. They told me I was pretty, I was smart, and that I could do anything that I put my heart and mind to. They told me the things that parents are supposed to speak into their children. But I want you to know, that wasn't enough. See, I didn't understand it quite like this because I'm thinking they're just biased. Oh, that's just mommy and daddy. That's just what, that's what every, mom and dad says to their kid. That's how naive I was, you guys. But I want you to know that unless you hear your identity, who you are, from the one who created you. Now, daddy did his best, but it was my heavenly father that created me. And if I don't have his perspective of who I am, it's not enough. And what ends up happening is you go looking for identity, or as the song says, you go looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's kind of like what happened. So... What I shared with you about the infidelity, I want y'all to understand that, y'all ready? That was my second marriage. Mm -hmm. See, I've been married and divorced not once, but twice. Let me tell you a little bit about my first marriage. My first marriage I had a band. I had a cover band. And so you know how you get with the drummer or the guitar player, listen. Well, I got with the drummer, okay? And he was an okay guy, he was a nice guy. And he told me all the things that my parents told me. You know, told me I was, I was a good person, I was smart, no? And you know, come on ladies, you know, those things that we, we like the guy to tell us, you know, that man to tell us, ooh, you fine. You kind of sexy, right? And so we, we, okay, y'all can't get, there's something about the side over here. <laughs> I'm gonna talk to y'all over here. because I, I, I feel like y'all are feeling me, right? Okay. But you know, he told me all those things. But there were some red flags that Lisa didn't pay attention to. I don't know if there's anybody out there that can relate to you know when those red flags pop up and you act like they really not there? <laughs> okay, that's a whole nother message. And so he got himself into some trouble. And shortly after we were married, and I mean shortly, like within 90 days, um, he did some time in state prison. Yeah, I know. It just keeps getting better, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I'm that one that knows what it's like to be married to someone who is incarcerated. And so he gets out, he does his time, he gets out, and listen, I'm standing by my man, right? I'm not going anywhere, the marriage is still on. And so we're trying to make things work. But remember those red flags? Okay, well they got a little more pronounced. And so he liked to do some drugs. Now remember, I'm a woman that doesn't know who she is. And so I'm into people pleasing. So, he did some coke, and yeah, your girl here, she did some lines with him. Because I didn't know who I was. Now, at the end of our marriage, towards the end of our marriage, we were married for 11 years. I got pregnant. Now, this is the good part, y'all, because I was so excited to be pregnant. I was so excited. Listen, I was... I was so excited. This is back in the 80s. You know, y'all get to show your baby bump now. But back then, you had to wear this tent dress, right? And, but listen, I'm three months pregnant. I had a whole new maternity wardrobe. Listen. And that waddle, you know, that some of us ladies we get, you know, in that last trimester, you know, when the pressure's really low. Listen, I had it down. I had it down. Three months. Listen. I want everybody to know this was legit. <laughs> what I want to tell you, come on, you know something about that. But what I want you to truly understand is that beauty really does come out of ashes. That my children are the blessing. Of the crap that I went through and I think we got some pictures I think to show you y'all got got that one right there she fine I know huh yeah that's Brittany Marie she watching right now she fine don't worry D she's taken so all you fellas back it up that's Brittany Marie And come on, that's Jacob Isaiah. That's from the second marriage. He's not watching now, he's asleep. (laughs) And as you can see, that's me with my babies. Because I love my babies. I don't care how old they are, Brittany turned 35 last week, and Jacob will be 25 next week. And two fathers, two different fathers, but listen, the things that the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. This is the fruit. Being a parent actually changes your worldview, And it certainly changed the trajectory of my life. You know, when you're a parent, you have to make those hard decisions you have to make hard choices and like I had to do that in my in my first in my first marriage you know while I wasn't doing drugs anymore he still was and unbeknownst to me Brittany is a toddler you know how toddlers like to they're always walking around trying to reach up on the counter and everything well she's reaching up on the counter and unbeknownst to me he left some lines of coke on the mirror and I happened to turn just at the right moment I said stop No!" And of course, she freaked out, and I'm like, well, you'll get over it, because at least that was better than having you get that substance on you. And as she's crying, and I'm crying, I'm realizing this is not a safe place. And so I made the decision to leave shortly thereafter. You know, I want you to understand that the transformation that took place in my second marriage, that was the first story that I shared with you, it was not an overnight process. I had to learn some things, y'all. I had to learn how to be content in God. Not in what my husband did, but in God, in his goodness, in his faithfulness. Regardless if the marriage was on point or off course, and much of the time it was off course. See, in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it talks about how you had to learn something. You had to learn to be content in whatever circumstance. And I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. I know what it is to be in need of a husband that will love his wife as Christ loved the church. I know what it's like to be in need of someone who would cherish you and who would adore you and who would honor you and wouldn't just dismiss or discard you. But I also knew what it was like in good times. And what I'm trying to say is only then, when you have learned your contentment is in God and God alone, only then can you do the scripture we like to roll off our tongue. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. That's what Apostle Paul was trying to say. You know... Life is going to happen. Yeah, we want happiness. And we want, we want happiness in our marriage and in our, in, in our other relationships. And we want happiness in our families and raising our kids and, and in our workplace with our coworkers and everything. But people, do you understand that folks are going to disappoint you? Life is going to throw some mess your way. And not only that, we're going to do some real crazy stuff and not really think about the unintended consequences that it has later on down the line for us and for those that we love. You know, Robert taught about how when we learn something, what did we learn last week? The purpose of our trials and tests they're not there to destroy you they're there to perfect you to perfect your faith so that at some point you won't be lacking anything God is the one who is faithful who is always good and his love never fails and when we get that not here but in our heart then we are able to submit and do the seemingly impossible ask. You know, I'm talking about the process, but I want to give you a demonstration of what the process looks like. And the process is like having a Psalms 18 moment. In your distress, you cry out to the Lord. Now this is not a prayer, this is not a petition, this is not decreeing and declaring, this is a distress cry. And there's something about when we send up an, oh God, kind of distress cry that he leans in and he says, hold up, that's my daughter, that's my son, hold up, I got to go. Oh, you don't think he did that? Check it out. Let's, let, let's, see, let's see what he said. I'm over here uh, in verse 9, and it says, He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet, and he mounted the cherubim and flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind, and he made darkness his covering. What do you think the darkness is? it's that very thing that is trying to take you out it's that thing that is oppressing you that's tormenting you that's trying to destroy you and your family he's riding in on that thing but what that also means is that unbeknownst to us he's on the way so when we're thinking god where are you where are you you don't know me you don't see me you don't know what i'm going through He's on the way he's using that thing. And guess what? The enemy doesn't even know he's using him to come and save you. I hope you guys are, are tracking with me because what he does is he reaches down into deep waters. He snatches you up and he saves you and he puts you up on a high place far above your spiritual enemy. There's nothing like knowing that you are known and seen by the true living God. And I believe Hagar had a very similar experience. Let's take a look. We're going back to Genesis 16 and verse 13. This is how we know that she had a similar experience. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, and I now have seen the one who sees me. There is something about when you suddenly know that God sees you, that you are seen, heard, and known by the real living God, and you know what happens? Your stuff may not change, but your vision does. Because now, all of a sudden, you're able to see him more clearly. I'm about out of my time, but I want you to know that sometimes life gets rough. And the floodwaters, they're rising. But according to Isaiah 43 and 2, he said, I will be with you when you pass through, operative word, through the waters. There's another translation that says, though the fire rages, you will neither be burned or singed. Why? Because he's in it with you. He's in it with you. I wonder who here needs to know that God is in your thing with you that though the floodwaters are rising, he's gonna reach down and you're gonna have a Psalm 18 experience and he's gonna snatch you out of deep waters because what the Lord says is what he means. Now, my story doesn't end in defeat, you guys. While divorce came twice and both my kids Father were absent much of their growing up, not until their late teens, but I I want you to know there's no contempt in my heart for either one of these men. None at all. I have a relationship where I'm speaking to both of them, but because I lived a life of transparency in front of my kids, I lived a life of forgiveness and it was a hard road y'all but I lived it let me tell you what it did it enabled my kids to pursue their own journey their own path of forgiveness with their fathers and today they both have relationships with their dad that are just on point you would have never known Lastly, I figured out who I was, because throughout all of that, I realized that the joy of the Lord was my strength. The joy, not happiness, because I didn't have a whole heck of a lot of happiness, but I did have joy, because the joy was knowing that he said he would never leave or forsake me, and he was in it with me every day and still is today. And the Lord found my faith pleasing to him and he said I now name you Jehovah's joy. Wow. I finally found my identity. Yeah. Give the Lord a handcap. And that was something that That he had always intended. Well, my time is definitely up. I think I've gone a little over. But I want you to know that even though I have a story, every single one of you has a story. And you're walking it out. And some of you are having difficulty walking it out. There ain't no shame in asking for help. And so, right now, we would love to be able to pray for you as you're on your journey for your story. And so, that's all I've got right now, but I'd like to have Pastor Robert come up and lead you into some next steps.